Our God and Father, we've gathered here today because we desire to worship you. We love you. And Lord Jesus, we, we worship you because of your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for what you did for us so long ago that saves us if we put our belief and trust in you. Lord God, we know that your word tells us that, that we shouldn't worry and that if we're anxious, we should pray instead. So Lord God, we come to you this day and we pray in regards to this whole coronavirus. And Father God, we know that uh, nothing in this world takes you by surprise. You already know that thousands are infected and several thousand have died. Father God, we come to you and we are praying. Um, we're praying for a breakthrough. We're praying uh, maybe it's a medical breakthrough. Or maybe God, it's just a breakthrough you make that's just so profound. It's obvious that it's from you. God, it is our prayer that this virus would not continue to spread. We come before you and ask you that as, our, as your children. But God, we realize that uh, whether it's the coronavirus or whether it's nine people that die in a helicopter crash or a workplace shooting, we realize that every single one of these things, well, they're just examples. They tell us that this life is temporary. It's temporary, and so God, we come to you and, and it's our prayer. We pray that, that the most important decision that we could ever make in this life is to accept you as our personal Lord and Savior. It's to make you our hope, to put our hope in someone who's eternal. We thank you for this day. We pray that God, as we break open your word, that you would speak to us, each of us, personally, this moment, right now. It's in your holy name we pray, amen. Inside your handout, there are different inserts. One of them is this one that's called Five Questions Concerning Church Planning and Multiplication. So we'll do this the first Sunday of each month. We want to ask five questions. Hopefully this will create some answers. This might actually make, encourage you to ask another question. If that's true, then I'd encourage you to write that down on one of our Connect cards, drop in the basket in the back. We just want to build quick questions answered as, as much as we can. On the other side of this is an update from Dan Stouffer in regards to what's taken place so far, um, our desire to build a plant this church by uh, September of this year. Hopefully this will be a nice little resource and hopefully it'll answer some questions for you. I've got three dates that I'd like us to go over with today. They all are significant, so here's the first one. The first one is March 22nd, Sunday, March 22nd. We have Caleb Kaltenbach. Uh, coming here to Westwood Christian Church. We tried to have Caleb come this past January. Things were a little bit of a snafu on the schedule. So now he's coming on March 22nd. Uh, I recommend Caleb's book, Messy Grace. It's a phenomenal book. So his book is summarized this way. It's Caleb Kaltenbach was raised by LGBTQ parents, marched in gay pride parades as a youngster, and experienced the hatred and bitterness of some Christians towards his family. But then Caleb surprised everyone by becoming a Christian and a pastor. So again, what do we do at Westworld Christian Church? On Sundays, no, we, we gather, we gather. So let's gather on March 22nd, let's worship God. But then let's also listen to Caleb's story. I cannot begin to tell you, his story is remarkable. I mean, it's a story of forgiveness and redemption and grace. And I, I think you'll, you'll find it pretty fascinating. And, and again, every time we gather, it's like invite people, you know, invite a friend. I, worst thing they could say is no, but just invite them to come. And I especially on that day, uh, you, you, have, you have a gay friend or something, why don't you invite them? Let them get to know Caleb. Who's to say? 
what, what God might do with this. The second date uh, is April 5th. This is Palm Sunday, April 5th. Um, you'll receive a letter from me in the, uh, this upcoming week, and that letter, a one-page letter, and inside will be an, a giving envelope. And so here's what we're hoping to do. We would like to be able to fund uh, this first church plant, uh, the one Dan's going to do in September. We'd like to fully fund it. We know for a fact it'll cost $200,000 to do this. We've already saved $100,000 of this. Uh, donations have been coming in. People have been giving some gifts. And so that totaled 4633 And so at this point in time, we know we need 95367 to be able to get it fully funded. There'll be a one, there'll be a little envelope in there, and we can also give online. But I'm asking you, uh, challenging you just to give a one-time donation, one-time gift, so that we can collect all these funds. Love to have that done by Palm Sunday, but certainly we'd like to have it done by the time we get ready to launch in September. So that's date number two. Third date is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is April the 12th. And let's talk about, we're going to be having five services that day. Uh, one will be our sunrise service led by Mark Steyer. Always grateful that's going to be over there. We're going to hope to have it. It'll be at 645 in the morning. We're hoping to have it outside on the cafe patio, weather permitting. So uh, that's not the case. We'll pull it right into the fireside room. But then we'll have four identical family-friendly services. Starts at 8 o'clock. So it'll be 8 o'clock, 915, 1030, and 1145. I invite you to be a part of all that. I'd love it if people would go to the 8 o'clock and the 1145 services that open things up for the middle two services. So I invite you to invite someone to be a part of it. But think about this now. So here we are. Um, Easter Sunday is 42 days away from today. Today's March 1st. Again, happy March. Uh, 42 days. So my thought on this was, well, what, what should we talk about as a church for the next 42 days? And may I suggest hope. Again, the mission of our church, mission of our church, we want to create places where people can find hope in Jesus Christ. This is our desire. So first and foremost, though, I think you've got to answer the questions like, you know, what just is hope? What is hope? So when you look at the Bible and you put it together, hope really in two words is this. It's confident expectancy. Confident expectancy. That's what hope is. So again, it's like, um, it's not wishful thinking. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's more of a firm assurance of the future. So you could say this, I hope that Jesus is going to come back someday. But if you say it this way, it's, it's even better. I'm confidently expecting Jesus to come back someday. I'm con I confidently expect that all my sins and your sins have been forgiven if you put Jesus you know, first in your life, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. I confidently expect that one day we'll all be in heaven. I, I confidently expect that we'll all rise from the dead. Do you see the difference? pretty powerful. I've been doing this now for the last several weeks. I've been asking people in person and online this one fill-in-the-blank question. Fill-in-the-blank, my hope is found in what? So I've received multiple responses, again, in, you know, people writing them on cards and then writing online, and some of them have been very funny, which I love that about all of you. So people gave me some responses. I'll tell you, here's a few that people said. My hope is in Jesus, of course, but my hope is also that in the sermons in this series being short enough that I can beat the Baptists to the restaurant after church. <laughs> we all have to have a goal. But my gracious, you should have no time, man. This should be easy. All right, so another one. This, a lot of people wrote in food. One person wrote, my hope is found in Chipotle. I mean, just, that's it. Chipotle. Now, I will admit, Chipotle is good. It's good. I admit it's really good. I don't know if it's that good, though. It's like, you know. Now, I really believe with all my heart, a mom wrote this one. I can't confirm or deny. I just know what I'm reading right here. My hope is found in the lovely thought that one day my kids will brush their plaque-ridden teeth and pick up their disgusting rooms without telling me to. I don't know. Does that sound like a mom? I, I kind of think it does, but that's her hope. And this one, I love this one because it's so crazy transparent. 
all right? Love transparency. My hope is found in Jesus and scripture. That's the eternal, always true, churchy answer. Tongue in cheek, my hope is found in a good iced coffee. Yeah. The amount of people that wrote coffee was insane. I mean, it was just over the top again and again. Now, mine would be a good caffeine-free Diet Coke. That sounds good, like right now. That'd be great. So, all right. So once again, what does the Bible talk to us about hope, all right? Well, first and foremost, Paul calls hope a person. Hope is Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And let's understand, our American Western understanding of hope is primarily negative. It is. We say, I hope to find a parking spot, but I probably won't. I mean, that's just kind of where it's at. But again, hope in the Bible is extremely positive, confidently expecting that this is going to happen. I found myself reading the Gospel of Luke, and so Luke's got 24 chapters, and I came across chapters 18 and 19, and I was amazed at what I was reading there. I noticed something that's like, my goodness, there are like six reasons in Luke 18 and 19 why we ought to put our hope in Jesus. And so that's what I'd like us to focus on here for the next six weeks. We'll give you one reason per week. Here's reason number one. Today it's this. My hope is found in the one who will right every wrong. Raise your hand if you agree with that. You want that to happen. Jesus is going to right every wrong. Let's get into it. Open your Bibles to Luke 18 for me. Luke 18, 1 is where we'll start. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, I'd love for you to get a Bible right up front here. Again, just raise your hand big and tall, and we'll get you a copy of the Bible. So right in this front row here, and they'll eventually come on down. They'll get you a copy of the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, it's yours to keep. You can find Luke 18 on page 1051 of the Bible that we're handing out today. Uh, again, I'd love for you to have uh, your own copy of the Word of God. Uh, if you have your smartphone, iPad, you know, a tablet, whatever it is, you can go to Uversion, go to the bottom right-hand corner and tap the little more button there, and that'll populate a list for you, and then you can tap events. And this service is probably our hardest in this regard because so many people are online at the same time. But if it doesn't come up, type in our, our zip code 43081, and hopefully our church will come up, and then you'll have all the scriptures. Luke 18, here we are. Jesus told a lot of parables, but he often didn't tell us why he told the parables. But in Luke 18, he has two right off the bat, and he tells us why. This is why I'm telling you this story. So let's get into this. Luke 18, let's start at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, again, an earthly story that conveys a heavenly meaning. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It's like, whether it's then or now, why should we pray and not give up? Well, he gives us the reason, the answer, and the reason, the main reason, is because he's going to come back again someday. Christ Jesus is going to come back again someday. And, and, and he tells us about this. I want you now, go, go into Luke, go to Luke 17. Will you please go back a little bit for me? Go back to chapter 17 and find verse 26. And these are the words of Jesus. This is what he says. Chapter 17, verse 26, it says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But one day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. One day Jesus Christ is going to come back. We confidently expect him to come back. And when he comes back, it's going to be a pretty normal, it's going to be a normal day. 
I mean, it is. There'll be people buying and selling. People will be going to work, coming from work. I mean, uh, you could be getting married or wanting to get married. I mean, it's like, again, you could, you'll wake up in the morning, you'll get your breakfast, you might go to work, you might go to school, whatever it is, and all of a sudden, wham! Jesus is coming back. And the sky splits open like a scroll. I mean, it's astonishing to think about that, that one day that this is going to happen. All right, now let, let's get more details now. Go to verse 31, please. Verse 31. So Jesus says this now. On that day, the day Christ comes back, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Next week, we'll talk about possessions. That should be lots of fun, right? All right, but there we go. Now, likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife, which, you know, she turned into a pillar of salt. Not a great way to go, but there's, there's where we are. So, verse 33, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. You have one woman who believes in Jesus. You have one woman who doesn't. You have one woman who has put her hope in Jesus, one woman who has not. I mean, let's just go that for all of us here today, all of us. Have you put your hope in Jesus Christ? I'm encouraging you, put your hope. Accept your, you know, Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Put your hope in him. Because right now it's not too late. But one day it will be. One day he's going to come back. Let's get into chapter 18 now. Look at the first three verses. First three verses in chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared, God, uh, neither feared God nor cared what people thought. He doesn't love God or love people. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So Jesus tells us a story, and there's these two people involved. You have a judge and you have a widow, all right? A judge and a widow. So now understand, in, in Jesus' day, widows were often exploited. But you know that still happens today. How many scammers go after senior adults? I mean, they just do. And so, but women in Jesus' day, widows in Jesus' day, my gracious, it was so difficult for them. I mean, again, and what she has, she has an adversary. There's someone against her. It's a man, most likely, probably, and he wants something from her. He wants her land. He wants her crops. He wants her home. And let's face it, folks, if this is all unreasonable. It's unfair. It's totally unfair. And so she has this big problem. I mean, she needs to get this problem resolved, and the judge is the one that can help her do this. But there's a difficulty. She's a woman, okay? Again, I, there's a great book. This is a fantastic book uh, written by Kenneth Bailey, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. He says, in Middle Eastern society, women do not go to the courts, men go for them. But she doesn't have any man to do that for her. She doesn't have a father, her husband is dead, she has no son, she has no brother, she doesn't have a nephew, a cousin, she doesn't have one single male that will help her. And so, again, Jesus tells us, what's the woman supposed to do? Well, she goes anyway, because desperate times cause for desperate measures. She's going to go see the judge anyway, but there's a real problem right here, and the problem is because she's going to go see a judge that's a crook. This judge is a crook. Jesus describes him. He doesn't fear God, which means he doesn't have a moral filter, and he doesn't care about people, which means he doesn't really care about her, even though she's a, a, she's a widow. 
But the, it makes no difference. She still has to go see the judge. The judge is the only one who can resolve her problem. So she does. She starts to go to him. And she goes to him again and again. She goes to his courtroom. And so she makes her plea before the judge all the time. Judge, sir, please, you've got to help me. Make this adversary leave me alone. Tell him to give my property back to me. Help me out. Make a wise ruling for me. And she does this again and again. Day after day after day, she comes to see this unjust judge. Now, um... One of the reasons, one of the reasons why I believe that there is a God, why God exists, is because I believe with all my heart that God will right all wrongs. Because the fact is, if we just live in this life, we just live, we just exist, people will get away with murder, if not much more. This is why I believe, because he promises, I'm going to right all wrongs for the chosen ones who love him. Now, let me, let me give you a couple examples. I mean, you see it in our society all the time. But I've shown you this picture before, but again, this is Malaysian Pastor Raymond Coe. All right, now, so on February 13, 2017, he was abducted in broad daylight. Fifteen masked men took him away in a car. It took like 26 seconds, and they know that because it was on surveillance video. So again, February 13th, that was just a couple of weeks ago. We're now, for three years now, Raymond Coe has not been seen or heard from. His wife, Suzanne, is pleading with the world that he would come back. Now, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happened, but I mean, and I'm not a pessimistic person. I'm really not overall, but something tells me it's possible that his captors have already executed him. It's possible. And I don't think, is there anyone in this room who thinks that's okay? It's okay if a person's abducted and taken away from their family and then executed. It's like, it's, it's not, it's not. And one day God promises, I will write I will write all wrongs in this world. We see it all the time. All right, let me give you another example. Um, I like to work with Dr. Jim Dennison, and so he tells the story of this woman, and this woman's name is Helga Page. And Helga is known as the miracle baby of Dachau. Does the name Dachau ring a bell with anyone? Has ever heard that name before? So, all right, so here we are. She was born in April 2nd, 1945. All right, she was born in a Nazi prison concentration camp, Dachau. She was, and she wasn't supposed to be it wasn't supposed to happen, but she was born nine months after her mom was raped by a, a, a prison guard. Okay, now you understand, her parents weren't Jewish. They weren't supposed to be in jail in the first place, but they opposed the Nazis, and so they went to jail. All right, so her mom spent quite a bit, of, you know, several days, she, she tried to hide her daughter by sliding her under the trash, under the beds, everywhere she could get, because if the German guards, if they found her, they would kill both her and the baby. Here's what's amazing. 27 days after Helga was born, uh, Dachau was liberated. Liberated. And so, again, uh, Allied forces took her to a German hospital. She was very sick. She had typhoid fever. So they took, you know, gave her medicine, got her well, but uh, she lost, they were, she was taken away from her mom, Agnes. And her mom spent six years, she was placed in an orphanage. Her mom waited six years, kept searching and searching. Eventually, she found Helga in an orphanage. Uh, she had married an American soldier, and this American soldier took her, her mom, Agnes, and Helga to the United States, and Helga has lived in the United States her entire life. Last September, she died at the age of 74. Does anyone here at all think, you know, I mean, the whole Holocaust, no big deal, no injustice there. It's not true. And God promises, promises he will right all wrongs in this world. And it's one of the reasons why I will always 
believe in him in this world. It doesn't make a difference if it's Raymond Coe. It doesn't make a difference if it's Helga Page. It doesn't make a difference if it's this woman, this woman in Luke 18. I mean, it's a promise of God. He says, I'm going to do this. One day I'll right all wrongs. You've got to see what happens next. Go to verse 4, please. Verse 4 in chapter 18. Now, here's what happens. For some time, the judge refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That's an interesting thought. This widow coming to whack this guy upside the head. Maybe she owns a purse. You know, my mom owns a purse. My mom's purse is like a small suitcase. I mean, my whole life, I remember this. I mean, I'd ask my mom, like, Mom, you got any gum? Yeah, sure, I got that. Got any mints? Sure, I got that, too. I bought a Kleenex? Sure, I got that. I mean, I think my mom had napkins, a tablecloth, a crowbar. I mean, she had everything in her purse. But again, uh, I don't really think that's exactly what we're talking about. I don't think she's going to physically attack him, but I'll tell you what, she can emotionally shame him, though, because this woman's not going to stop. She's going to keep coming, and she's going to keep coming because she wants justice again. And what will happen, this is called giving someone a black eye. It's not a physical black eye, but it's a shaming because people will eventually see he is a crooked judge. He needs to do something about her situation, and truth is, he's just going to, he's going to have to do it. All right, go to verse 6. It really gets interesting here now. Find verse 6, and it says, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? No, eventually it's going to happen. Eventually, it is one day again. One day Jesus Christ is going to come back. But the question now is, what does Jesus want us to know? What does he want us to know with what we're reading right now? And here it is. Persistent prayer makes anyone an amazing example of faith. If you keep praying to God, I promise you, you will not give up. Persistent prayer makes you an amazing example of faith. You just keep praying again and again, over and over and over again. Now, what makes this woman an amazing example? Go to verse 4. Go back to verse 4 again. Look what it says. Jesus says, for some time the judge refused. Now, here's what I'd like to know. How much time? Was it a day? Was it a week? A month? A year? several years that this woman just keeps coming again and again and again. I mean, it's just how long did it take? But she just kept being persistent. And again, this is what persistent prayer, it just does some amazing things within our lives. Um, let's get super transparent. Let's see if you've ever, have you ever thought this or said this? It's like, what is the point of prayer? Have you ever thought that? And usually we say that when we don't get what we want. It's like, what's the point of prayer? I mean, I've been praying to God constantly. I prayed for God for a job, didn't get one. I prayed, I prayed for my mom, for her health. You know, I, I prayed, uh, I want to meet someone and eventually get married. You know, uh, we're a married couple and we pray, we want to have a baby. It's like, again, I, I pray to God for guidance, pray to God for direction, I pray to God, and yet it just doesn't seem like anything's happening. Again, scriptures tell us and clearly, God answers all prayer, all prayer. Sometimes it's an emphatic yes, sometimes it's an emphatic no, and we don't like the no's. But there are other times, other times, I don't know why God delays. He just delays for some reason, but he promises to answer. Persistent prayer. 
It's amazing. That's what God wants us to know. But now the question is, what does God want us to do? What does Jesus want us to do in light of what we're reading today? Here it is. The most basic, two basic applications. Number one, don't stop praying. Just keep praying to God over and over. And see, here's what's so special. Think about this. You and I are praying to a loving Heavenly Father, not a corrupt judge. We're praying to a Heavenly Father who loves us, who cares about us. He cares about us desperately, and He calls us His creation. And if you and I put our faith and trust in His Son, we are His children. Again, He loves us. Because God will literally rewrite your story and mine if we continue to persistently put our faith in Him and come to Him and pray to Him about anything and everything. I say, this happened to Tommy Fisher. God rewrote his story, and it's in the most unlikely place, prison. Watch this. I'm going to tell you about Kairos, this prison ministry that comes inside them walls. It's a dead man. A lot of people say we dead men. I mean, I was just a mad man. Everybody got a story. When you really get touched by God, that's when you know you got a real story. Well, my name is Tommy Fisher. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I grew up in the street gangs there. I got a lot of trouble. I ended up doing 20 years, 11 months flat in prison. I had an aggravated life sentence. I wasn't supposed to never get out. I ran the gangs in prison. You know, and I hurt a lot of men for some crazy reasons. I used to actually get Christians beat up because they say they wanted to come to Christ. That's how crazy and radical I was. But the, when they picked Kairos, they only picked the worst inmates on the unit because they want the roughest dudes on the unit, the fools, to get changed. And this ministry is actually going in here and showing this love and changing people like that. I'm going to tell you the truth. I went for their food. I didn't go to get saved, but God has set me up. When I was sitting there, man, you know, I was listening to this dude talk. You know when Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus, just Jesus' presence knocked him off that horse? I know for a fact I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. I felt it like Paul felt it. And from that day forth, man, God has just been blessing my life. While I was in that prison, I got into this Thurapon Theological Seminary and Bible Institute. I got a bachelor's degree in biblical studies. I also went to college and I got me an LBT. I just thank God for God blessed me. I got a license to counsel, you know. And I really thank God for what he changed me into because I used to be a monster. I used to really be a monster. The only reason why I don't know if I ever killed a man because I never went back and asked the man who I shot was he dead. But I shot a lot of people and I heard a lot of people's lives. But ministries like Kairos can go inside them walls and show a man God's love. Man, if I can tell anybody, anybody about Kairos, man, it's changing lives. Because I got to get God back what he gave me. He gave me back my life. He gave me them years that the locust stole from me. He gave them back to me. <laughs> and I'm thankful for it. It's not just happening in Texas, it's happening in Ohio too. 
Our church has been a part of Kairos Prison Ministry, just trying to help them in any way we can. There's a table out in the lobby, again, with people that are all kinds of folks that love to answer your question. And so, I, I, can you tell me again, remind me, why did Jesus tell this story again? What did he say to us? He says, I don't want you to give up. I want you to keep praying, and I want you to keep pursuing. Don't give up. Because you see, people in the first century and people today, this is what we do. Sometimes we give up. We give up and we stop praying, thinking that, you know, I don't know, what's, what's God doing? You got to go to verse 8. Please go back. He summarizes really everything. Go to verse 8, please, in Luke 18. So Jesus again says, I tell you, he, God, will see that they get justice. He's talking about the chosen ones who love him. I tell you that he will see that they get justice. And quickly, again, uh, let's put our hope in the one who's going to right every wrong. That's the promise. And he says, quickly. Now understand, God's quickly is not always our quickly. But he says, however, when the Son of Man comes, our hope is found in the one who's going to return. He's going to come back. Confidently expect he's going to come back. And then Jesus asked the question. He says, well, he says, will I find faith on the earth? Well, why wouldn't he? Well, it's because oftentimes our circumstances and our situations get to a point where we're like, ah, I just, I don't want to believe in him anymore. And I pray you and I would be persistent and that we would just trust him in this life. Again, the application, again, don't stop praying, but the, the second application is put your hope in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in someone who's supreme. Put your hope in a supreme being. Don't put your hope in something temporary. Please, I mean this. I know this personally. Don't put your hope in the Cleveland Browns. Don't do it. Don't. I mean, I can't tell you how many Sunday nights I've been in a grumpy mood. You know you put your hope in a sports team when it affects your mood. Don't put your hope in a sports team. Don't put your hope in your career. Don't put it in your 401k. Don't put it in your children. Don't put it in your spouse. Put it in. Jesus and him alone and watch what begins to happen. We're going to, um, we're going to lead, Chelsea and our worship team are going to lead into an invitation song this morning. And so I have two invitations tonight. The first invitation, I would like to invite anyone, if you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'll meet you right down here, right down here, if you want to come and accept him and make him your hope. So the question again is, how do I do that? First and foremost, admit that you're a sinner, accept God's amazing gift of grace, Except that you trust that what Jesus did on the, on the cross was enough. You and I cannot earn our salvation. Accept the gift. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will empower you and I and equip you and I to live our lives for God. That's my first invitation. Anyone want to accept Christ? Second one is that I'm inviting you to come pray. You can pray right there. You can come up here. But you pray to God. Just tell Jesus today. Just say to him, I will never give up. And I will pray to you and pray to you persistently because I know that you're my loving Heavenly Father and that you care about me. We've got another 25 prayer cards on the stage. I need people to come up because they're asking for someone. Would you pray to God? They're all asking, you know, to make Jesus their hope. Would you stand? Let's sing this morning. Come and, come and pray. If you want to accept Christ, why don't you do that? as we sing.